welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and that was the Pink Fairies and Do It. That's a, a song I've played before, and uh, no wonder it's a sensational song from all the way back from 1971. And the reason we're playing it today is because I've got David Wells here again. You may recall that, that David's been on a couple of times. One time was when uh, he talked about the Dust on the Nettle set, which was a uh, set talking about the underground folk scene and, and covering that era. And uh, I also had David on um, covering the Love, Poetry and Revolution box set, covering Sagdelia. But this time, of course, as you heard the Pink Fairies, we're talking about heavy rock. And uh, there's a new... Uh, compilation out on the grapefruit label called i'm a freak baby which is a journey through the british heavy and psych hard rock underground scene 1968 to 72 so david tell us about that wonderful compilation coming out as well as the pink fairies and do it hi jason thanks yeah uh, it's a new set out at the end of july three cds covers the period 1968 to 72 british uh, underground hard rock proto-metal if you like and it really sort of looks at the music that's being make, made after bands like Cream and the Jimi Hendrix experience kind of kicked off into that uh, that power trio format and looks at some of the bands who were influenced by them and really it, it's kind of the birth of, of heavy metal I would say. Yeah and uh, there's a few tracks here almost the birth of punk. Yes, it's interesting that um, some of these things, it is like, almost like rock and roll in the late 50s, it, it, it's got music down to its most basic levels, really, guitar, bass, drums, vocal, and I think there's a lot of parallels between, as I say, that hard rock sound, which became early proto-metal, and then a few years later, you would have the, the punk sound, which again was very influenced. I mean, a lot of people think that the Sex Pistols album is basically a heavy metal album. So obviously there's a big link. And the Pink Fairies, in fact, just played Do It, which was remade by Twink during the punk era. Um, so again, uh, another link between those two genres, really. Mm. And uh, the second track today we've got is uh, The Open Mind and Cast a Spell. They, they made one uh, very well-regarded album in the late 60s. That's right, yeah. The, uh, the Open Mind album is now worth quite a bit of money. Um, but it's also, a few years ago, it was... Um, described by Mojo magazine, I think it was, as the first heavy metal album. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that's correct, but uh, I think I think Blue Cheer might have something to say about that. But um, it's, a, it's a good album. But even then, I think they, they made a standalone single just afterwards, which is very Stooges-like in its sound. Often the, the A-side is the one that's uh, compiled... Uh, Magic Potion, but because that has been appeared on a few compilations, we went for the B-side cast a spell, which again is a, it's a fantastic three-minute hard rock song. It certainly is. So let's play the open mind and the wonderful cast a spell B-side to Magic Potion. Cast a spell
played uh, the open mind cast a spell but the, the next song is crush butler and uh, the song my son's alive uh, that's one of the uh, jesse hector uh, tracks isn't it that's right yes uh two of the band there's only three of them anyway the two of the band went on to be in hammersmith gorillas who uh, made uh, remade you really got me for i think larry page's label was it mm. penny farthing or possibly dick james anyway um yeah they uh Again, we were talking just now about the links between that, that, that hard rock sound in the late 60s, early 70s and, uh, and punk. And obviously Jesse Hector kind of resurfaced during the punk era. My Son's Alive has a very kind of uh, Ozzy Osbourne style lead vocal. Uh, and again, you could describe it as proto-metal or, or proto-punk. Um, it, it's basically a three-minute blast. Yeah, and uh, Jesse and Crush Butler and the Hammersmith Gorillas really undergoing a, a renaissance really at the minute. Well, also Jesse was in um, in the clique, wasn't he, in the mm. mid '60s? Um, so yeah, a fascinating character and a good pedigree. And it's interesting that even a few years after after he, he kind of first been in a band, that Crush Butler still had difficulty getting a recording contract. Uh, some great music, which has subsequently been compiled into a a band um, album, uh, about twelve tracks, I think. But um, interesting that nobody touched uh, nobody gave him a contract at the time and my son's alive is, is, is basically a great song yeah it's um very strange that it was unreleased in in, in that period it is they they have a very well they had a very sort of powerful visual look as well they seem to have everything going for them they had uh, daryl reed um who was a fairly well-known child actor they supported bands like mot the hoop and atomic rooster they cut demos about five or six london studios still couldn't get a contract for some reason
Crushed Butler and My Son's Alive. Next, David, we've got Factory and Time Machine. This was one of the uh, Oak, very, very limited uh, releases on the Oak label, isn't it? That, that's right, yeah. Back in the mid-90s when I was running Tenth Planet, I did a, a double album story of Oak Records and um, I contacted the band then to use Time Machine. That was the first time it had appeared on any compilation. 20 years later, it's still one of my favourite uh, obscure singles from that era. Just 99 copies were made. Um, it was recorded at R.G. Jones in uh, in Morden. They had their own oak um, custom label. Uh, like I say, they, they made 99 copies, sold it out very quickly. Great song. Also, the, the vocal uh, and the actual overall sound it is very similar to, to Bowie's album, The Man Who Sold the World, which came a few months later. Um, so I don't know if you maybe got to hear that, this beforehand, but uh, the similarity between um, that album and this single, I think, is, is quite quite strong. You've got science fiction type lyrics, you've got a really astonishing lead vocal, very metallic. Um, and yeah, it deserves wider audience, really, and, and that's why I've included it. Hopefully people will notice it.
that was Factory and Time Machine, a very limited uh, single on Oak in 1971. Next, uh, we'll go to a track that I think is uh, certainly well well known. I think it's been compiled a few times and is now, well, certainly in my mind, is, is, is a bit of a classic. It's uh, the Mickey Finn and Garden of My Mind, I think, from a sort of early in this period, 1967. Yeah, it's actually the first recorded song on the on the box set uh it came out in december 67 um so we've taken a few liberties because the the compilation only tried to start january 68 but uh it was actually recorded in the summer of 1967 apparently and uh it's incredibly heavy for the time and it the the lead singer actually sounds uncannily like uh the young phil Lynott, um mm. but it isn't him um but yeah they were the mickey finn briefly had jimmy page in their lineup um as a regular member, as opposed to a session man, uh, but he's uh, he left by this point. Obviously, he was in the Yardbirds by then. But uh, yeah, great single um, has been compiled once or twice. I think it was on the Nuggets Two box, but mm. even that is now 17, 18 years ago, I think. So, um, so yeah, again, um, a really good three-minute single um, that's probably ahead of its time. Garden of My Mind. 
Uh, now we've got uh, Deep Purple and Fireball. I think that was released as a single on Harvest. Um, I, I assume, David, you could have picked quite a number of tracks by Deep Purple. Actually, from you know throughout this particular period, what was it about Fireball that kind of you know? Fireball. Well, what I wanted to do, I wanted to show that that, that kind of that hard rock sound was actually commercially very successful, which people tend to forget. Um, so I wanted to include two or three hit singles on on here. So we've got like the Move, Brontosaurus, one or two uh, one or two other hits as well. We've got the Gun, um, and uh, this this was the top twenty hit. Um, and to me, it's got that kind of speed freak metal sound that that was quite influential later on. And and people kind of look at Deep Purple and think of Smoke on the Water and and that. But but Fireball really is a helpful leather track. <laughs>
Deep Purple and Fireball. Now we, we do actually have another great track. Uh, I mean, this is an excellent song, uh, Skull Crusher by Iron Claw. I think they, were they uh, from Scotland? They were a Scottish band led by a guy called Alex Wilson who um, went to a, a, an early Led Zeppelin gig in June 69 and was so kind of blown away by what he heard that he decided to form a band uh, with a couple of uh, 15-year-old friends. And uh, they became Iron Claw, but but almost no sooner they started than, um, I say, Alex Wilson was a big fan of that sound. And he taped uh, Black Sabbath when they appeared at a youth club in November 69, uh, which which that tape still survives. It's the first recorded Sabbath gig. Uh, So it's kind of um, the band are kind of important on that level, but also that they made... um, a great album, um, December 1970, which only made it as far as acetate and Skull Crusher, <laughs> and you can't get much heavier title than that, was was one of the songs on there. Apparently, um, they'd kind of become friendly with Black Sabbath, and uh, they sent a tape of the proposed album to Sabbath's management, hoping that they would get a leg up from the uh, from the band. Uh, but instead, instead of being flattered, uh, apparently Sabbath's management started making veiled hints about legal action if the recordings appeared because they were too close to Sabbath. But anyway, uh, I mean, 35, 36 years later, none of that really matters. Again, it, it just stands out as, as an absolutely epic track. Um, and again, whatever the, the um, relationship was with Black Sabbath, it's amazing that it didn't come out at the time. <laughs> Yeah. 
That was Iron Class Gold Crusher. Next we have Taste and Born on the Wrong Side of Time. Um, I think that was uh, one of Taste's early releases, wasn't it, David? That's right. It came out on their first album. Initiated appeared a year or so earlier on the major minor label as Born on the Wrong Side of Town. Um, then Rory Gallagher, who's obviously the leader, he um, sacked the rhythm section and got into new guys, Richard McCracken and John Wilson, and they re-recorded this song um, put it on their first album as Born on the Wrong Side of Time. Great, great band. Um, deserves um, even more recognition, really. Yeah, it's quite interesting that early on, um, a lot of these bands, 68, 69, Born on the Wrong Side of Time is actually surprisingly melodic. It has kind of stop-start sections, almost a bit Beatles-esque in some ways. Um, so, again, that, that was kind of like uh, an attempt to widen the sound on, on the uh, the box set because it has got light and shade on it. But, yeah, another another really good song, and it should have been a hit, but at least it did appear on the first Taste album, and, and that helped get them the reputation. <laughs>
yourself that someday you'll do just fine You know that you live through a lie We'll only find out what went wrong When the sun makes us fly Next, David, we've got Wicked Lady and the title track from uh, the compilation today, I'm a Freak, and that's from 1972. I think they're one of those groups that have been reissued in relatively recent years on uh, labels such as Kissing Spell and Gerson, but again, not not in the period the material was recorded. No, um, again, one of the aims of the box set was, was to show that the sheer diversity, the sheer numbers of, of bands who were actually active at that time. It wasn't just bands like the Groundhogs and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. Um, there were lots of local bands who were following in their footsteps. Uh, maybe they didn't get the recognition at the time. Um, but uh, all these years later, people are looking for uh, sort of strong examples of that sound. And Wicked Lady, um, whatever their their drawbacks in terms of sound quality and, and the fact they couldn't afford studio time apparently and th- all their tracks are just taped at, um, at rehearsals on a, an old Revox 4 track but again this is this is a really powerful song uh, obviously that's where we've taken the uh, the box sets title from before the, the, the kind of after reissues they, they mainly attract attention because the guitarist Martin Weaver uh, also appeared on the Dark album, Dark Around the Edges, which obviously is, is very valuable these days and has quite a cult following. So I think labels like Kissing Spell and I think Gerson in, in Spain um, were mainly uh, chanced upon Wicked Lady because of the interesting Dark. But, um, you know, it stands on its own merits. It certainly does, yeah. Um, in some ways, that's a bit insulting to the band to just be remembered because one member being in another band. Um, uh, Wicked Lady did have their own following at the time, but they did attract a violent biker following as well and, and had trouble playing. As I said, they, they rarely played the same venue twice because of trouble um, with the loudness of their music and also the following that they attracted. But the music stands up and, um, well, as you can hear, um, it, it's a really strong example of, of that early proto-metal sound.
from 1972, I think we go back about a year to the Groundhogs and um, and a, a track called Cherry Red. But um, certainly from my perspective, you forget how big Groundhogs were in 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 the uh, early 70s. They were quite massive. They, really. they were absolutely massive at that time. Um, I. Um when I was at school, I remember that uh, in those days we used to have six formers in the same school as, as uh, the younger boys, and I can remember that it used to be like um, something where every it seemed every six former would wander across the playground with a groundhog's album under his sleeve. Um, they were massive at the time. Um, three successive top ten albums. Um, they appeared on top of the pops playing Cherry Red. Uh, and they also, I think, there's a strong influence um, 20 years later on, on Kurt Cobain's Nirvana. Um, very kind of uh, similar kind of sludgy sound. And yeah, obviously I had to pick Cherry Red, given that uh, <laughs> that's the, uh, the name of the uh, the, the label that's uh, putting this out. Um, so yeah, another great song. One of the uh, one of the better songs actually off Split. They uh, sometimes it's it's a case where bands like this. That their songwriting is actually overlooked. They remember for the sound, uh, for noise, but there's clearly a strong melodic element to Cherry Red. Shake out my- 
Now from the Groundhogs, we go to Charge. Uh, so we're going to a group uh, uh, less well-known and uh, a track called Rock My Soul. Um, I was digging around um, about this group. I understand this is a, a case where only one copy of a, um, a private pressing existed? Um, well, I think they, they made 99 copies. Ah. But, um, these things don't turn up simply because bands like Charge, they didn't even have a, a cover manufactured, so... All there are is like um, uh, a very limited, like I say, 99 copies pressed without a sleeve. So uh, in the past, when, when these things have turned up, things like Dark, Complex, Forever Amber, they've turned up in charity shops or whatever, um, and they're packaged with a proper sleeve. Um, things like Charge just have never turned up, really, because any charity shop would just turn away anything that didn't have a sleeve. So th- th- these things just don't turn up. And like I say, 99 copies back in January 73. Uh, the band were based in, in Fareham in Hampshire. Very uh, Lemmy-esque vocal, I would say, from Dave Ellis, who was the main songwriter and guitarist. And uh, sadly, the band broke up a year or so after making this after the death of their drummer, who was only 25 years old at the time. So, um, obviously, a very, uh, very sad ending to the band, but... Um, it's only really after copy turned up in the 90s that, that people have kind of paid attention to them. Um, but a really strong album, um, let down a little bit by the production. Um, but there we go, oh, you can't have everything and um, just have to uh, turn it up a little bit. No, it still sounds great today. Uh, charge and rock my soul. <laughs> We'll be right back. 
something comparatively obscure to um, what is now you know a, a classic of the genre and actually of any particular uh, musical field um flute of Mac green manalishi and it's still you know its power still resonates today a real window into peter green's mind yeah to me it's still quite a scary record um and i don't say that about many many songs really uh but again as i said earlier i wanted to have a few hits sprinkled around to show that it, that that hard rock proto-metal sound of the uh, late 60s, early 70s, it was actually commercially successful at the time. Um, and the Green Man, Lady Lishi, um, again, a, another major hit, following in the wake of Albatross, Man of the World, Know Well. Uh, and people tend to tend to forget that, even though Philippe Mac are kind of synonymous with the Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks um, line-up later on, but it was the original Peter Green line-up where had all the big hits in, in the UK, um, none of the, uh, the the post 75, 76 stuff in this country has been anywhere near as big as, as those early Peter Green singles were. Mm. Yeah, and um, it's interesting, um, the set, because it kind of shows the different threads that, that went into the sort of heavy rock scene um, in that you've got the sort of more psychedelic side of things, but you've also got um, a bit more of a blues rock and they both kind of, you know, meld, in, meld into this field. I think there is obviously a link between, say, the blues stuff. Uh, obviously, Flute and Mac progressed pretty quickly from their blues roots. But the same could be said of Chicken Shack are on the set as well. And by mm. 71, 72, they were, again, they were a power trio. They left the blues completely behind. But you can still hear a little bit of that element in, in the music. Also, uh, there is an element that in the early 70s, Obviously, progressive rock was quite big. You had Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Yes, Gentle Giant, Genesis, those kind of bands. And uh, one, a member of one band on the set, I won't say who it was to avoid embarrassing him, but uh, he did say, well, we'd like to have been a progressive rock band, but we weren't good enough musicians, uh, so we played hard rock. And I think you can hear in, mm. in some of the songs on this set that um, it's just musicians playing the hell out of what they've got. No fancy stuff just straight down the line, hard rock music. Uh, and the Green Man Alishi, um, obviously the lyric takes it into another field, but um, a lot of the songs on here, uh, they don't outstay their welcome. They make the point they've got and, and they get to it pretty quickly, which wasn't the case with the, uh, the progressive rock stuff, which obviously is, is, is kind of, you know, you get side long suites of songs, etc. Um, and, and I think because it was basically still hard rock sound, you still got basically the music is, is song based still. Mm. Now that uh, summarises things really, really neatly. Um, and uh, I think by the time this podcast comes out, you'll be able to uh, get your hands on a copy of I'm a Freak Baby, a journey into the British heavy and psych hard rock underground scene, 1968 to 72. And I think that's on the Grapefruit imprint of Cherry Red. That's right, yes. It's Grapefruit, which is obviously one of a number of labels that um, are handled by Cherry Red. Uh, and yeah, it is out at the end of July. So um, yeah, um, at all good record shops, or at least the ones that are left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Thank you so much, David. Um, I, I uh, certainly know that the dust on the nettle set and the podcast and the love poetry and revolution set and the podcast were, you know, really, really uh, well well received. So I'm hoping, well, I'm pretty sure that that this uh, this podcast and the, uh, the the new compilation I'm a Freak Baby will will be just as successful. So thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Jason. It was a pleasure. No, pleasure, pleasure. Let's uh, let's go and give uh, Flute Back and Green Manalishi a spin now. following you 